0: We are offering freelance services in data analytics, machine learning, audio engineering and web development. Feel free to check out our website services section to see our portfolio and what we can do and book a call with us to discuss your data challenges. We'll be happy to help you out. This is Data for Future. Enjoy this episode. Right, so today I'm very excited to interview actually the first guest based in Silicon Valley, <laughs> in Data for Future, Apurva Kumar or Apu, and uh, welcome to our show. Welcome to our show, Apu.
1: Thank you for having me. Uh, delighted to be here with you.
0: <laughs> Great. And good evening. So Apu himself, as he says, uh, his short name version stands for Accelerated Processing Unit. <laughs> and he's a graduate student from Stanford with uh, extensive technology experience in fields like geostatistics, data science, machine learning. And after holding foundational roles in different successful tech startups like CNET.com or Phoenix, today Apu is the CEO of City Data AI, that is actually on the list of GovTech 100 companies. And what is City Data? Well, let's hear what the executive officer tells us.
1: Oh, happy to. Happy to talk about City Data um, AI. So, we are a San Francisco Bay Area startup, and uh, we provide geospatial intelligence. So, we create digital replicas, and we provide daily data insights for uh, at this time, 1,000. 566, I hope I got that number right, 66 Mm -hmm. cities uh, on a global scale. So fundamentally, our our technology platform collects fresh, accurate, anonymized, daily crowdsourced data from thousands of mobile applications. Mm -hmm. Uh, We also collect data from open Wi-Fi access points or IoT beacons. And then our geospatial AI transforms that data stream into actionable insights about people presence, people activity, movement, uh, with the greatest attention to to privacy. Mm -hmm. And we work with clients uh, all over the world. So we work with clients in the United States, Italy, Spain, UK. Mm -hmm. We also work with clients in South America. So we are active in Brazil, Argentina, Mexico, Colombia. And and of course, Asia, we've executed many projects across Asia in mm-hmm. Thailand, Indonesia, Malaysia, India, Bangladesh, Australia, New Zealand, Taiwan. So we are very excited about uh, this new adventure and mm-hmm. uh, thrilled to be talking to you about it.
0: Yeah, incredible. So first of all, what was the story or what was the reason for creating Cita data? Was there a problem that you saw and said, oh, we can use data science to solve it or how was it
1: there always there always is a a backstory yeah and so course. uh when we set about looking at the world of data we we did something interesting we we looked at the top 1000 cities in the United States now we are based in the US so the initial focus was the United mm-hmm. States and still is but we, we took a very data-driven approach to trying to figure out what problem are we going to solve Mm-hmm. And so we looked at the top 1000 cities across the US and many of these cities, as you can imagine, are, are really <clears throat> mid to small cities or even towns. Mm-hmm. And we noticed that what, 95% of the cities cannot afford a chief data officer. And majority of cities have very limited budgets,
2: mm-hmm. cities
1: with populations of let's say 50,000 to 200,000 people cannot afford data scientist teams, hmm. and yet these cities are in need of data about people intelligence. So they they need to know uh, information and analytics about mm-hmm. people, presence, activity, and movement. And we, we framed that term, people intelligence, to represent those three things, presence, activity, and movement. We actually coined and trademarked that term. And so we realized mm-hmm. that cities desperately need such data. They don't have such data. They don't have the teams and the tools to analyze the data to make meaningful decisions and improve mm-hmm. the lives of citizens and that is where city data came in. That is how city data was born. And mm-hmm. as part of city data, we city data is the the name of the company, but we created a platform called city dash or city dashboard, city dash for short. And we we envisioned city dash as a one-stop data analytics and AI platform for cities on a budget. Our mission and vision is to be the chief data officer for these cities, uh, for the 99% of the cities with a focus on mm-hmm. geospatial intelligence. The, the way to think of City Dash is it's, it's the real world knowledge graph. So cities, counties, um, districts, are are continuously trying to understand how residents and visitors um, interact and engage with city services and spaces. So you would Mm -hmm. want to know, if you're the city administrator, you would want to know how many visitors at the local park or how many people are hanging out in your downtown this weekend. Mm -hmm. And as Mm -hmm. simple as it sounds, it can be a huge challenge to, to gather this data and to make sense from it. And traditionally, mm-hmm. municipal agencies have employed everything from, from manual people counts. People start standing at intersections, uh, counting other people using click counters and surveys. Mm-hmm. And these just become static numbers that are stuck in time. So they are they're very they are useful at that point in time, but they don't really scale. Oh, yeah. And so what if you had access to a, a more reliable and dynamic people count? And mm-hmm. this awareness could be represented in the form of a graph, a real-world context in the form of time, place, and ambience. And so that knowledge graph is essentially uh, what we set about creating. It's a data graph with machine learning applied to that data built in. And the goal is to do it in a fully anonymized manner. So mm-hmm. if you do it in a fully anonymized manner, privacy compliant, that real-world knowledge graph... Can provide incredible insights while maximizing privacy and security. So that's that's our story, really. That's how we started out, mm-hmm. and that is the path we have been on and will continue on.
0: Okay, very interesting. Well, one thing that um, I'm not familiar too much with it, but you crowdsource data. How? What exactly does it mean? Crowdsourcing data.
1: Of course. So. City data collects anonymized and aggregated people intelligence data. Mm-hmm. And this involves collecting anonymized, aggregated data about people's location. Uh, so, this is crowdsourcing done at a massive scale with full disclosure, consent, and opt in from end users. So to achieve this, uh, we maintain a free mobile SDK or a software development kit uh, mm-hmm. it's connected to a global data network. Uh, we also collect data from third parties, um, anonymized data from third parties, but we have our own SDK. So let's say you are a mobile app developer or a mobile app publisher.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: We would make our SDK available to you. It's available to everyone for free. It's free to integrate. It's free to use. And it's mm-hmm. it's really free forever if you, as an app developer, are willing to contribute anonymized data to our knowledge graph and enrich Mm -hmm. our graph. So we have this value exchange with app developers and publishers and third parties where we we ask them to contribute their data to our knowledge graph. We give them free tools and free analytics in return that keeps them Mm -hmm. happy. And then we are able to bring very rich and meaningful insights to the public sector. Uh, mm-hmm. App developers, of course, and, and the end users control what data is being shared and how it is being shared. That is that is really mm-hmm. important. So again, this this approach allows us to source data about how many people, which is the most important mm-hmm. question that we try to answer. How many people in a city block? How many people in the downtown area, in the local park? And then what are the Mm -hmm. movement patterns across city neighborhoods? Uh, It's it's important to note that in doing all this, anonymization is is a critical aspect. So we do not access or directly collect personally identifiable information or what is called PII. Uh, Specifically, Mm -hmm. our SDK does not access, does not collect things like your, your name. Uh, We Mm -hmm. don't know your name. We don't know your phone number. We don't have your email. We would never look at your date of birth, your national identifier, your credit cards, transactions, anything that would be considered sensitive because fundamentally it's not needed. It's not required. All we are trying to do is to answer the question, how many people? And so our unique Mm -hmm. approach, which is anonymized and aggregated, Allows us to operate in compliance with uh, local privacy laws and regulations, like in, in your part of the world, GDPR, which is yeah, yeah. Uh, perhaps the most well formed privacy regulation on the planet. And now, so
0: far, yes, yes, mm-hmm. so far.
1: And then CCPA in California, where we've tried to mimic that to some extent. And the mm. only way for us to, to operate uh, in compliance with those regulations is to anonymize and aggregate it, aggregate our crowdsourced data.
0: Hmm. Yeah, well, that's very smart, actually. Yeah, to develop an API, if I'm correct, the SDK is an API for, for developers. You also support and um, app developers, which you have a plenty of, I imagine, in your in the Silicon Valley or in San Francisco. So, yeah, very interesting. And what what are the most interesting use cases of um, of those graphs and of those information that you gather? Maybe you could provide some examples that were most uh, striking. Absolutely. So so going
1: back to the app developers, just um, a yeah. comment about that. The developers we work with are global. We actually spend a lot of time uh, trying to find the right apps and the right partners to work with in, mm-hmm. in the EU, in Southeast Asia, in LATAM. Because you want to collect data from a a diverse set of apps, you, you wouldn't mm-hmm. want your data to come from just one or two apps, because then the, the data tends to be heavily biased from mm-hmm. it was the users that are using just that one app or two apps that you're getting data from. So mm-hmm. what we've learned over time is you want to get as many app partners as you can in your portfolio, and then collect data from the mid to small apps as well, because you're going to see a lot of variety in the process. And then you're going to mm-hmm. try and, and understand insights that represent all parts of the demographic of, of your city or your country. Uh, and that's, that's very important when you're looking at uh, underserved areas, economically backward areas, where mm-hmm. you might not have a Uber, or you might not have a Grab, or you might not have some of these top-tier apps being used yeah. heavily. So you, re- you really see. have to spend the time to go and find those apps that will give you the data in those parts of the world, and mm. that data will make give you meaningful insights about the communities that you're trying to study.
0: Yeah, actually, for the communities that have the most the biggest problems, then yeah, exactly, exactly. Mm.
1: So so coming back to your your question about um, projects and use cases, uh, we created City Dash, the real world knowledge graph. Uh, we did it for civic innovation. And, um I could talk for hours about the different types of use cases, but the top two two cases
2: mm-hmm.
1: are mobility planning and economic development and And there are a whole bunch of use cases beyond that that are related to sustainability as well. But if you look at the the full range of projects we do and you start to mm-hmm. to rank those projects, the top two types are mobility planning and economic development. So what do I mean by that? For mobility planning, um, we provide accurate and continuously updated dispersion, or what is also called origin destination movement mm-hmm. analysis, using our crowdsource data. And we try to understand the flow of people at transit stations, flow of people through neighborhoods, um, across districts, And the goals are, uh, and and this depends on the clients we work with, but the general goals tend to be um, to reduce traffic congestion, Mm -hmm. uh, lower emissions, to promote electrification, improve urban infrastructure, and and also improve public transportation. So those those Mm -hmm. tend to be the the typical goals with mobility planning. Such data-driven insights are also very relevant for solving the last mile problem in most urban areas or maybe the last 10-mile problem in in areas that are economically disadvantaged. And Mm -hmm. our data can really be useful for that. The second most common request is economic development, especially now that we are um, where we are with the pandemic. So we are in a position where we can understand the, the visit patterns or the footfall patterns for commercial zones, industrial zones, individual business establishments or brands, local businesses, Mm -hmm. small businesses. And when we provide such data to cities, they can combine this data that we give them with their own existing data sets, because cities have data about uh, the local census surveys. Cities Mm -hmm. have data about um, their own uh, CRM databases, transaction records, real estate tax records, and business license fee records, um, other types of indicators that they might hold internally that we may not have access to. So we provide our data to the Mm -hmm. cities, they have their own internal data sets. You combine the two and you are able to produce these indicators that can track the overall health of the city's economy. So this was Mm -hmm. being done at a micro scale. And city planners can use such data to make appropriate investments uh, or even mm-hmm. provide subsidies um, in in, this, in the struggling economy, so you can stimulate the local economy. So yeah, mm-hmm. mobility planning and economic development, these tend to be the primary use cases, but I'd be happy to discuss um, mm-hmm. the more um, involved projects and use cases that are related to sustainability as well.
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that would be very interesting. And also one word to mobility. I think in general today, there are lots of resources we just need to u- learn to use them smartly. Like, for example, as the case with energy, there is one side that says, yeah, we need more renewable energy and um, as you say, maybe also electrification. But on the other hand, we also need to use what we have smartly and then maybe reduce the impact in that way. So I guess this is also where mobility projects might bring great impact to to yeah make make our transportation more sustainable. And uh, you're talking about sustainability. I know you've developed a couple of projects. Particularly, I remember one in in Malaysia where you tracked palm tree oil uh, shipments. If I'm correct, maybe you could say a couple of words to that, because this is something that is really inspiring. It was really inspiring to see and to see the the graph on YouTube. And um, yeah, how how did it work, and what kind of impact did it have? Oh, absolutely.
1: if you look at sustainability, uh, there is a whole class of projects that we work on in the sustainability space, and I'm happy mm-hmm. to go through all of them. One of them you just mentioned, uh, and thank you for, for reading the blog article. I'm glad you liked it. <laughs> uh, I'd be happy to talk about that project. Uh, there are about six other types of sustainability projects that we also undertake, and I'd be happy to, happy to give you an mm-hmm. update on those. But let's start with the one you were talking about. Um, uh, but before before I jump into actual projects, um, the reason we got into the sustainability side of things is because we, City Data, we, we subscribe to the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, or SDGs.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: we partner with government agencies, uh, we partner with um, academia, non-profit organizations, NGOs. And we provide relevant, actionable data to these organizations to make progress towards the UN's SDGs.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And the first project that you mentioned is the uh, the project about deforestation and climate change. So one of the goals, one of the main goals of the UN is, is climate change and fighting and com- combating climate change. And at City Data, we are all about optimizing the global material footprint for sustainable production, responsible consumption. Mm -hmm. So we monitor the supply chain movement patterns in the forests and the green zones in in Malaysia, Indonesia, Brazil. Uh, Those are the three main for now, Uh, and there are a bunch of other countries that are lined up. But there's a specific focus on the vulnerable districts and Mm -hmm. regions that are known for excessive deforestation. And and the recently published um, time series animation that you may have seen uh, mm-hmm. really shows the movement of the palm oil uh, fresh fruit bunches from the planted areas in the forests as they move through the supply chain to the dealer distribution centers and from there to the processing mills from there to the refinery locations and we were we were looking at this in the Sabah region in Malaysia. Mm-hmm. Uh, There are many parts of Indonesia that um, have the same type of palm oil plantations as well. And we were using our mobility data analysis to track the supply chain.
0: Mm -hmm. How did it help or how might it help to reduce the impact? So tropical
1: deforestation is, is driven by agricultural expansion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this could be in this specific case palm oil, but it could be soy, it could be cattle production. There could be a variety of reasons why you're seeing deforestation happen. Yeah, and City Data's global intelligence platform, with a focus on geospatial, combined with an in-depth analysis of the commodity value chain, can help brands. There are there are major brands involved. Uh, at the other end of the spectrum mm-hmm. that are utilizing these raw materials and producing these finished products that you and I and the entire population uses, but oftentimes these brands mm-hmm. may or may not have visibility into what's happening upstream in the fall. Oh, yeah. So if you take our data and you, you combine that with the commodity value chain, you can help these brands and these multinational corporations without mentioning names, to integrate mm-hmm. deforestation into their decision-making process. Mm-hmm. And so this brings us back to sustainable production, responsible consumption, and helping our largest brands and multinational corporations get there is is what we are striving for. We made mm-hmm. good progress with it, with the the previous few projects um, that were related to deforestation, and we hope to continue making progress to get these brands to where they need to be.
0: Hmm. Yeah, that's very important. I think making things visible, especially now, it's so difficult to say where things come from. Like when you when you buy bananas in the supermarket here in Spain, the, this this small banana made such a trip throughout the globe mm-hmm. that in the end, um, there were some attempts to to visualize and to track the supply chain with uh, with blockchain technology. And to, well, there are different approaches and. I think it's very very important. Probably it's also the first step to to understand what's going on before you can take any decisions. And hopefully we will also see more um, let's say pressure from governments for instance in one of the podcast interviews we were talking about slavery mm-hmm. in UK there was a there has been a law passed which officially prohibits to companies to contribute to any kind of slavery in the world but the thing is nobody really knows now it's not it's not really visible to see the entire supply chain and to understand okay here we have a problem here we have a problem even for the companies so yeah great uh, sounds very promising
1: i'm glad you you feel that way and and you're right it is uh Complications with tracking supply chain, whether you're talking about um, the fruits in your local market, or you're talking about palm oil and soy, or you're talking about, uh, in this case, uh, manual labor and um, slavery, for that matter. It's Hmm. hard to track, and it's hard to get the data about it. And there are reasons for it. And uh, I'm sure sometime, at some point in this podcast, you can ask me about... Challenges and uh, how? Oh, how yes. What do we see as as the future? And and I'll tell you a little bit about that uh, when we get to that point. But yes, these are these are real problems that that we should we should all do the best we can to to increase awareness.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Before we uh, come to risks, um, let's stay <laughs> for a couple of minutes on the positive note. Right now, I'm also working with the geospatial data, and I'm very new to it, and just to be able to look into every part of the world being able to manipulate satellite images and, and and data like that it like the opportunities are immense so i guess the same stands for your for your platform for for your company so what are those opportunities that you see for city data in the future what would you like to solve or where do you say maybe we could contribute to that cause I can tell you about causes and uh, use
1: cases that we are contributing to um, already. And and there are some mm-hmm. that we have on our roadmap that we are trying to figure out the best approach to contribute to those. But i can tell you a few things um, that are very relevant. Again, going back to sustainability and the uh, United Nations SDGs, electrification, green energy.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So cities mostly the larger cities um, around the world are making significant investments in IoT, high-quality IoT grids, which, can be, which tend to be quite expensive. Mm-hmm. And if you can build a real-world knowledge graph based on alternative data sets, uh, you can help these cities to identify the optimal locations for installing their IoT sensors and assets. For example, mm-hmm. you, you want to determine where to install the electric vehicle charging stations in Madrid, or you want to install Mm -hmm. solar lighting points in Valencia, or you want to study the accurate, anonymized heat maps for people, presence and movements in Barcelona. We work on many such projects worldwide, and we saw these projects first in the West, of course, but we we are starting to see a a lot of this pick up in in Asia and LATAM as well. And along the same Mm -hmm. lines, energy consumption and demand, um, if you think of people, the presence of people in any given area, is a strong indicator of energy consumption. We are mm. the consumers of energy. And so if we see in our data insights that there is a high density of people and movement in, in specific areas, there are techniques that could be used to forecast energy consumption and, and demand
2: mm-hmm.
1: based mm-hmm. on the data we hold. And so we are starting to partner with uh, utility companies and we are trying to help them to optimize the grid based on our mm-hmm. data. And so this goes back to the energy consumption and demand use cases. One that is near and dear to me is uh, disaster impact and resilience. So mm-hmm. on the West Coast here, we have um, we don't have any tornadoes really or hurricanes, um, but we do have earthquakes. In Florida, you have a whole bunch of hurricanes during the hurricane season. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the middle of the country has tornado issues. Asia has tsunamis and earthquakes. Uh, every country has its own issues. And mm. city data can provide impact assessment. So what we do in that case is we work with the public safety agencies. And we look at mm-hmm. the before, during, and after scenarios for natural or human-caused disasters. And we measure and analyze Mm -hmm. the effectiveness of maybe the evacuation procedures that were put in place. We track the movement of people before, during, after, earthquakes, floods, hurricanes, tsunamis. And then Mm. we get a sense for were these these, uh, procedures effective? Did people move out uh, quickly enough, especially Mm. with wildfires in California in the past, past few months when they were ravaging all over California. Did did hmm. people move out in a timely manner? Did they stay back? And with Florida and the hurricanes, do people relocate? And do they relocate permanently from from Florida into the other states? And do they hmm. ever go back? So you can do short term, mid term, long term analysis to see the the impact of of what's happening with um, with disasters. Hmm. And then an interesting thing happened in February when we were working with some of our Italian clients, they, and we were doing solar lighting point projects with them, uh, trying to optimize the locations for, for lighting points. And they oh, said yeah. to us, hey, you guys have this really cool movement OD dispersion analysis, but we want you guys to, to pivot. Uh, we want the same data, but we want you to apply that to this thing called COVID. And we had no idea what they were talking about. And then we realized what what was happening in the Milan uh, region. Mm. And so we now consider it our civic duty to provide the best possible data to help communities to make the most timely decisions when it comes to battling diseases. And if you look at Mm COVID-19, there's been a significant change in people behaviors. Um, Transportation agencies, government leaders, public administration are just still grappling with this and trying to understand it. What we are able to provide is uh, methods to measure the variations in mobility patterns over time. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. our data can be used as an essential input um, to, let's say, measure the effectiveness of a lockdown or a stay-at-home. We provided these insights, uh, especially from March through June when you had peak COVID in most countries. We still had peak COVID in the US, unfortunately, but when Mm. we had um, COVID ravaging Italy, Spain, Mexico, India, Indonesia, Thailand, Singapore, we were providing these insights on an ongoing basis, and we still are in some countries. But the data also helps uh, epidemiologists, researchers, um, and public health officials to build pandemic propagation models. So you could look at the movement between neighborhoods and you know that neighborhood one has turned into a COVID hotspot, but there is heavy Mm -hmm. movement from that neighborhood to eight other neighborhoods. And that movement has occurred in the past 10 to 14 days. You can Mm -hmm. then build some very interesting propagation models that will help you understand the spread of the virus. So, so we have been providing such data to epidemiologists as well Mm. so yeah these are some of the the fun interesting projects um along the same lines uh, something that we are not yet working on actively but thinking about is parks and open spaces Mm -hmm. so uh, a lot of people again going back to the COVID scenario uh, want to exercise and recreate safely and you've got to maintain your social distancing so they are turning to parks, they're turning to open spaces, where which are still open and they allow for social distancing.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: for the, the US CDC, uh, physic- being physically active, of course, is the best way to keep the mind and the body healthy. In many areas, um, people can still visit parks, trails, open spaces, get some fresh air, get their vitamin D, stay active and still maybe mm. connect with members of the community, uh, though mm. you might be sheltering in place. So we've, we've studied some of the parks across the US. We're going to do a project. Um, I think we announced it a few weeks ago. We're going to do a project to study the top 100 parks in open spaces and then try and understand what were the patterns over the past past nine, ten months and mm-hmm. um, how did people react? And did the visits to parks and open spaces increase significantly during COVID? And then what happened as, as COVID started to subside and there might be many many hidden insights in that data set that would help Mm. um, local municipalities to make some really interesting decisions about parks and open spaces as we as we get into 2021 and 2022. And hopefully the decisions will really will, will increase the number of parks and green zones and open spaces in our urban areas.
0: Yes. I hope you come to Barcelona as well to support the (laughs) decision-making process here. (laughs) I'd love to. I'd I'd be happy to. It it doesn't seem to work really well for now. And yeah, I believe this is, yeah, it's a great point that you make. Especially now the need for real-time data to understand how the decisions of of, uh, governments impact population and movement. It's really, really needed. Because, for example, in Barcelona right now, You know, the government closes one spot where there were like lots of people doing sports outside or they close the bars or they close this or this. And people, they don't just disappear, they just they move to another place. Yes. But it's hard to foresee (laughs) and hard to track. And um, yeah, all the decisions, it seems that they are very late in that sense. So I, I hope you, <laughs> you will come to us as well. And, and you a
1: very, very important point because the correlation between the people who are visiting the bar and the people who might be visiting a specific type of um, eatery or restaurant and mm-hmm. the people who are visiting uh, maybe the soccer field. These correlations already exist. People have their affinities, people have specific patterns. We are creatures of habit. We all do the mm. same types of things over and over again. And so these, yeah. these patterns are hidden in the graph. If you look at historical data, let's say you took at his, look at historical data for Spain for the past six, nine months, and you try to be very specific, like this bar and this place and this soccer stadium and this restaurant, what are the patterns? And do people who go to this bar, do 10% of them go to the soccer field and do 5% of them go to this specific restaurant. You're going to see the patterns emerge Mm. over time Mm. and these are anonymized patterns, but these patterns could help you make future decisions. Like if I were to lock down this place, where are those people most likely to go? Oh, they're going to go to the soccer field. If I lock down that place, where are they going to go? Well, they're going to go to this restaurant. You you start to see those patterns and you could make better decisions based on that data.
0: Mm. Yeah, that sounds, uh, it makes a lot of sense. Lastly, to the point (laughs) that you already mentioned, of course, all the coins have two sides, lots of opportunities and lots of, uh, yeah, lots, lots of positive impact. On the other hand, every project and every company has their own risks. In your case, where do you see them and also how do you, how do you mitigate them? How do you deal with that?
1: Yeah, this is the type of question that makes me pause because there are so many different angles to that mm. answer. So um, let me start by saying that technology startups in the San Francisco Bay Area, and, and we, are the, the, we tend to be the center of technology, we have been for a very long time mm-hmm. uh, leading the charge with just bleeding edge technology. We tend to be uh, the leaders, and we are the global hotspot for innovation. At least we'd like to think that we are. Mm. But many of the technology startups, even in the San Francisco Bay Area, do not have it easy. And Mm. each day we hear about, we read about the challenges that startups face. Uh, There is early stage funding headwinds. There's series A chasm, there's uh, the battle, the continuous battle for technology talent. Uh, There's Mm -hmm. difficulties now with managing remote teams during COVID. Uh, There's extraordinary demand from the talented workers for more perks and more benefits. So the list goes on and on. Mm. But what we fail to realize as technology startups in, in the San Francisco area is we also are very privileged and are... Our problems probably pale in comparison with the real challenges faced by local communities, underserved neighborhoods, uh, the homeless, the jobless. There are there are real problems that, that need to be solved. And I think the private sector should be part of that civic community, community in, in tackling these problems and trying to solve mm. these problems and these challenges. We need to get more involved uh, in thinking about social impact, impact billions of problems that could impact billions of lives every day and social impact typically tends to be an afterthought for for technology companies but I think it needs to be interwoven in the very fabric of the ecosystem so mm. like every every technology company should contemplate. IP. IP is the hot thing. Everyone's trying to generate new IP, but I think every company should contemplate how their IP could be leveraged for, for enriching local neighborhoods, enriching cities, making healthier, happier places to live. Because typically, IP is just used to build a protective moat around your business, but IP can be used for so much more. Mm-hmm. And so at City Data, um, as a team, um, myself and, and my core team, we've always had a civic bent. And uh, we mm-hmm. know that the AI revolution is coming to govtech, to government technology, and we know that we are going to be a big part of it mm-hmm. uh, so going forward. Our biggest opportunities are going to be in applying data for the greater good. Uh, our broad themes mm-hmm. that we are planning for uh, 2021 and 22 are good health and well-being. How do you apply data for for these for these goals? Uh, affordable clean energy and Sustainable green conservation, mm-hmm. and we—I think—we recently announced. You may have seen this. That, uh, and it took us a lot of time to to realize that we should do this. We recently announced that for each commercial project, a revenue-generating project that we will take on, we will also execute a pro bono project for the greater good. Mm-hmm. So it's a one-for-one, mm-hmm. and we think that. We actually sincerely believe that this policy will ensure that as a company, uh, we all stay grounded in reality. We are always in touch with the real world and we are solving real problems that make a positive uh, social impact. Now, mm-hmm. coming back to your question, the biggest challenge for city data, of course, is how do you monetize, right? in the sustainability space, how do you monetize and how do you monetize for sustainable growth of the company? Mm -hmm. We are doing well, we are generating good revenue, uh, but we also see some other companies uh, that operate in the data space, they're busy running marketing or advertising businesses, things like pushing coupons and offers into people's phones and these types of companies from the largest to the smaller ones, they make obscene amounts of money, they're very profitable. But we see city data on an entirely different path. And Mm -hmm. if I may, I'd like to characterize it as a more meaningful path from the rest of the geospatial data world. And so as we continue down this path, less traveled, uh, Mm -hmm. we're going to have to innovate twice as fast or maybe three times as fast in order to sustain ourselves. Mm -hmm. And and therein lies the risk and the challenge ahead of us.
2: Hmm.
0: Yeah, that's that's a fair point. What I actually meant by risks is maybe a a slightly different thing, because as you say, you're a very innovative company. And well, uh, San Francisco Bay Area, as we all know, it is the place where most of technology we have today most impactful technologies emerge from that place but also there's lots of discussion about ethical issues that rise up not because someone intended to to develop a tech that ended up harming people because it was not foreseen that it would happen like with the with facebook for instance in in regions where facebook was used to separate the society or to to spice up um, Political campaigns against minorities and so on and so forth. Yes. Of course, of course, uh, Facebook is, is not there to to create those issues, but it's it's like a byproduct that's, that's emerging. And yeah, what I was what I would like to to ask you is how do you deal with those situations? Is there maybe a clear approach? On on discovering those issues, potential issues that are not there but they might emerge in the future, and yeah, how how does a company deal with that to prevent this those things happening?
1: That's a great question. So that's that's a different type of risk, and um, you can't really fix what you can't yet see. Hmm. So that's that's one of the challenges with the risk that you're alluding to, uh, which is hmm. in some ways the greater risk of AI. I was watching the, it's a great uh, documentary of how AlphaGo, how the AlphaGo team ended up beating uh, all the top Go players including oh, yes. Lease Sedol. All, uh, such mm-hmm. an amazing movie, documentary. Yeah. Um, but those are the types of challenges. If you build an AI system that could lead to deeper insights. Eventually, what could it be used for? And in our case, if we have insights about uh, the presence and the movement of people, even though it may be anonymized and aggregated, you can't really pinpoint a single individual. But over time, what can you say about a group of individuals or, as you said, a certain type of demographic or an ethnic Mm -hmm. population? Mm -hmm. And can that be used for not so happy uh, outcomes, mm-hmm. and that's that's a real risk. And so it comes down to um, your ethics framework. Fundamentally, it comes down to that, and it also comes down to transparency. So mm-hmm. companies like City Data need to have a strong ethics framework. Um, my entire team uh, and my core team specifically needs to be fully bought into it and understand why this is important. Mm-hmm it needs to be a continuous dialogue within the com- within the company but the transparency has to go beyond so one of the mm-hmm. things we do is we publish ample documentation and every project we do we try to blog about it and be transparent about it mm-hmm. and so as we as we continue doing that we are hoping that we build this community of ethical leaders who are continuously talking to each other. There are many data companies that are working on similar projects or projects in adjacent spaces. And if Mm -hmm. we all talk to each other and we all recognize the risks and we take actions within our own companies to mitigate those risks, eliminating those might be nearly impossible, but at least the best we can to mitigate those risks, I think that will result in collective good. Mm. Then comes the, the need for... And as a data company, it's ironic that I would say this, the need for better regulations, because in in this space, regulation might not be such a bad idea. And Mm -hmm. having global standards might not be such a bad idea. So the EU has done a great job with GDPR, but has the rest of the world. In the US, Mm. California has done a great job with CCPA, but has the rest of the US. And Mm. companies don't operate just in the EU or just in California. We got to operate worldwide. And yeah. so finding ways to have perhaps global privacy regulations and mm. and mandate that companies that deal with consumer data need to follow a specific path and will be held accountable if they don't is going to be important going mm. forward, uh, regardless of whether it is just pure data or it's AI derived from that data.
0: Mm. Yeah, that, sound, that makes a lot of sense. And well, I hope that... Any issues <laughs> that um, potential issues that you might discover that you will discover them in a timely manner sounds sounds great. We actually have um, not much time left, so the last question I would like to I would like to give you a moment of glory. Let's say so. Feel free to share how we can find you or how we can how people can get in touch with City Data, and also maybe to share. Yeah, about your current challenges. How can people help you? Maybe, maybe a person that's dealing with the same problem might take uh, contact with you.
1: Oh, great! Thank you for that. So uh, <laughs> we've talked about a lot of different projects, and we've covered a lot of use cases. I think the the audience for your podcast will will hopefully have gotten a good sense for what we do, who we are and the types of data we hold and the types of insights, data insights, we can provide uh, for geospatial. And all we can ask for is if there are cities um, that are faced with these challenges about mobility, economic development, COVID-related impact uh, or other types of impact, uh, electrification, green energy, we would be delighted to, to work with these city municipalities, but this could be um, the government agencies or they might be through NGOs. It could be through academia. A lot of universities are now collaborating and partnering directly with, with municipalities, or it could be even the United Nations. And we would hmm. welcome the opportunity to work with uh, any and all of these entities. And the best way to reach us, of course, is. Um, you can visit our website, citydata.ai. The .ai part is critical. All of our okay. website domains are .ai domains, so citydata.ai is our website. city-dash.ai is our platform. It has its own website. Or, or you could um, visit citychat.ai, which is a mobile app we are providing for cities. So there are many different ways you can reach us. Um, and. Yeah, we, we really hope that we get the opportunity to work with uh, thousands of cities over the next five years and make a real impact.
0: Sounds great. I will provide all the links that you mentioned down below in the description. So Fantastic. all the interested, please reach out. And well, it has been a very great pleasure to to meet you, Apu, and thanks for, for being with us here today.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure chatting with you.